If you are ready to change the way people experience the transition to parenthood, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we interview postpartum professionals, academics and researchers, as well as parents with unique perspectives on postpartum. Whether you've been working with new families for decades or are brand new to postpartum care, we'd love you to join us. I'm your host, Julia Jones. Hello and welcome to Newborn Mothers Podcast. Today I have a super exciting guest on a topic that I am extremely passionate about. Um, Ella Burke is here to talk to you about gender equality in parenting. And anyone who's worked at all with me knows this is something I um, do go on about a lot. And um, really, I guess from um, my perspective, uh, I'm really interested in how we can make this happen and work, you know, in the 21st century. So um, I think, yeah, Ella, you introduce yourself, but I know that, yeah, you've got some really exciting projects and a book on the go. So uh, let us know where you're coming from. Yeah, thanks, Julia. And thanks for having me here. I'm really excited to talk to you today about gender equality. Um, I'm a writer and um an activist and a feminist, and I also work in the uh, women's services sector as well. Um, and so my writing can be found on alaburke.com. And um, at the moment, I'm writing a book called The Progressive Parents and Parents to Be Short Guide to Gender Equality. Yeah, so I'm really excited to be here today to tell you more about that and uh, yeah, talk to you about these issues. Yeah, and that's that's great. So something that really fascinates me is um, we live in such a unique little moment in human history where actually things are very different now. This idea of living in nuclear families is so actually bizarre when you look at it across cultures and across time. Um, and I do think it's drastically impacted women's roles and um, opportunities and that kind of thing. And it's also changed the way that we can self-actualise and, um, and, you know, go after our dreams and things as well. So I guess I'm wondering, you have been doing a little bit of uh, research on people's sort of opinions and stereotypes and the cultural understanding of motherhood. Yeah. Do you want to tell me a little bit yeah. about it? So I um, recently did a research uh, project in my local community, Julia, where I looked at the question of how might we help parents um, of zero to three-year-olds to disrupt gender stereotypes. Um, and one of the reasons that I wanted to look at gender stereotypes is because they're a contributing factor um, sorry, uh, one of the driving factors um, of violence against women, and um, which is obviously has big implications for um, the, the trajectory of women's lives. So as part of that project, I um, made a call out in my local community to talk to parents who um, identified themselves as people who uh, agree that um, the gender should be equal and had kids in that age group. Um, I then interviewed three mothers who'd volunteered to be interviewed um, and did an exercise called empathy mapping. And it was, they were just such interesting, rich conversations, Julia. And one of the first things to emerge um, from those interviews was that for women who are interested in and care about this in issue of gender equality, they really felt very confident already in terms of their parenting and what they were implementing with their kids. So they were already doing things like using gender neutral language, creating varied experiences um, 
and play opportunities for their kids and bringing a range of toys and clothes and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, they felt very confident that if, it, if their child said to them, you know, mummy, you can't mow the lawn, that's a daddy job, of redirecting that and, um, and inviting their children to examine those, those kind of beliefs that had been formed outside the family. But the other thing that came out of it was just that they had sort of become these unofficial, unacknowledged gender equality leaders in their own families. And a lot of the places that they were interacting, including their intimate partner relationships, the extended family around them, childcare institutions, right through to shops and um, interactions with other members of the community, really didn't support them kind of in this mission of um, trying to debunk these gendered stereotypes. Um, and that is quite an isolating experience. So, you know, you can be a mother who's really committed to this idea and wanting to implement these practices and things in your family, but we all are situated in these much broader cultural contexts um, that have their own norms, practices and histories um, and, of course, uh, women's empowerment and women's rights is actually historically a fairly recent movement. And so um, a lot of mothers were experiencing this kind of dissonance in terms of what they held dear in their own beliefs and values and um, what the world around them was telling them. And was that preventing them? Because I'm hearing you talk about parenting children to grow up to be in this more gender equal environment but was that was that working for them in their own lives as women as well did they feel like they had good opportunities to to um you know to to have the same opportunities that they would want to have for their daughters for example did they have that now so sort of two parts to it there's um the influences that are coming to bear on your child so um, you know, in your relationship with your child, you can be trying to instill them with these um, values of equality. But then as soon as they're not in your care, and for example, um, one of the mothers was telling me a story of dropping a, a child off at childcare and that the way the educator was interacting seemed to be in a very gendered way. So um, this particular mother had a daughter and the educator would say, well, let's go and play in the kitchen or let's dress up the dolls or, you know, really um, engaging in that quite gendered way. And then reflecting on their own lives, the mothers were really feeling those pressures and stresses around division of labour in the home. Um, also emotional labour in terms of who is expected to hold the emotions of the family and facilitate kind of harmonious um, family living, um, as well as um, sites of resistance around their employment and work as well. So feeling unsupported in terms of flexible work in some instances and also in terms of the social interactions just around women and work. So um, one mother who is a professional was telling me about conversations that she'd had with her extended family where comments would be made like oh well now that you've got two kids you can just stay home and your partner will go out and bring home the bacon kind of thing and the kind of the pain that women feel and carry around 
being erased or made invisible in their individuality behind these stereotypes of mother. So, mm. um, and it's a huge sense of loss, isn't it? You know, that yeah. feeling that you're no longer a, a woman or human even anymore. That's like, it swallows up everything about you. At least that's the kind of cultural message that we, we receive. Yeah. And so the other thing that I really noticed in this project was that um, there was a huge appetite to talk about these issues, which for me, the insight there was that actually most of the time in our lives, we don't feel welcome or safe to raise these issues around gender and gender inequities. Um, And it can be a really fraught issue. And a lot of people come into this issue in quite a defended way. And I think, um, for men, there can be some wariness around, um, well, hang on, I'm not one of those bad guys. What are you saying? Like what's coming, you know, what's going on here? And so the fact that I was coming to them and saying, hey, tell me about this, tell me what's your experience, um, there just seemed to be a real hunger and yearning for that. And so initially I thought that um, what was required in terms of a useful um intervention or solution or contribution to this issue was some kind of like peer support space or group that would be that I could run in a facilitated way and so I sort of prototyped that and ran it past some of the participants and um, the idea was that it would be a space for mothers around these issues of gender equality um, and that a place that they could support each other and hear each other's stories and not feel isolated in those struggles in that way but actually the feedback that I got about that issue was that they hated it <laughs> because, <laughs> because it was reinforcing the idea that this is women's work. Mm-hmm. It's such a, it's such a like difficult situation because so many women tell me these things and I say, are you talking to your husband about this? And often they say, I'm scared I'll end up with a divorce. I don't know if we'll be able to survive these conversations you know, and this this change, the drastic change that I'm looking for, I don't know if we'll be able to get through it. Um, mm. So it is a really scary thing, but I agree we need to have those conversations in the broader context because if women just keep talking behind closed doors, I agree, there's no responsibility, there's no accountability, you know, and really ultimately we can't make this change without men um, as well. We have to do this together. Mm. And I just want to acknowledge to you, Julia, that um, the way that I'm talking today is very heteronormative. So I am talking mm-hmm. about mothers and fathers, and I just want to acknowledge that families come in all different um, formulations. And there's certainly work to be done around the oppressions that come to bear in those different formulations of the family. Um, but the primary focus of, of my work and my experience is in the um, heterosexual parenting relationship so that's the focus of my work but I just um, want to acknowledge that I'm not at all suggesting that um, that's how parenting should be or the only way that families look yeah no exactly I think you bring up a really good point and um, and on top of that it is a bigger problem for heteronormative families these gender roles you know and the research I've read shows that for example um, women couples so lesbian couples when they have children the biological mother um, and the non-biological mother will actually share the domestic work a lot more evenly than um, than in general, you know, heteronormative couples do. So that speaks a lot to the fact that it isn't actually a biological thing. It is there's so much cultural layers on top of gender roles that, um, yeah, that, that make this whole thing very complicated. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so I really... Um, 
wanted to respond to what I was hearing in a way that would be really useful and practical to that pain and struggle that I was hearing. Um, and it's certainly pain and struggle that sort of had resonated with my own experience as well, just around how, uh, what a whirlwind transitioning into motherhood can be. And um, I'd certainly felt, you know, that dissonance and tension between um, mothering and then my professional identity as well. And so I really wanted, wanted to create something um, practical and usable that would help support um, these mothers and sort of relieve them of the burden a little bit of having to be that gender equality educator in their families because it is such a complex issue and it is so cultural and social and historical. Um, and so that's what kind of led me to writing this book. And the whole way that I'm writing this book is um, around uniting mums and dads around the shared mission that they have for creating a brilliant future for their children and um, really hoping to engage the dads and fathers through that framing that, um, you know, this is, is their business, it is their work, and it's all about the benefit for the children. Um, you know, and I've looked at some of the other work that's happening in this space, and a lot of the work does focus primarily on um, that direct parenting relationship, like um, giving your kids a wide variety of experiences and so on and so forth. But I just think there is no getting around that what you model in your own relationship is so influential. Like you can't expect to imbue or convey to your child something that's not embodied and you're not doing for them that you're not doing yourself. And I think there is a lot of fear about that. As you said, like people saying, I don't know if my relationship will survive it, or I don't know what those conversations look like or sound like. Um, and so through this book, I'm hoping to give people some tools to start some reflective practices, start some dialogues around how can we be creative in our own lives? How can we implement these principles of equality that we care about and agree on? Um, but how can we bring them to life in our own family, in our own situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I think a lot of men really are willing to have this conversation. And um, sometimes it's better to not have it on an individual level. Sometimes actually to have it within a marriage is more stressful than to have it as more of a systems discussion and understanding the broader kind of social picture. So I think it's a really great approach to look at it as a bigger thing. It's not like each individual man is being a, a bad husband, you know, it's more like we live in this system that, that creates this environment that's really tricky to get ourselves out of. Um, and I do want to get onto some of the tools um, specifically a little bit later. But before then, can you talk a little bit more about that, the mindset? Like what is it that the stereotypes that we have of women and the women, the way women think about ourselves and some of that mother guilt that's just seemed so all pervasive, how does that impact all of this and where does it come from? Is this podcast making you wonder if becoming a postpartum professional is right for you? Download our free guide at newbornmothers.com. You'll learn what qualifications and training you need, what sort of hours you'll work, what to wear, and most importantly, how to actually make a living because it's not feminism if women don't get paid. Visit newbornmothers.com and enter your email to get the free guide. So one of the biggest stereotypes I think that is so damaging for women and mothers um, is that child rearing and cleaning go together. 
that the role of mothering is also around having a sparkling house. And actually they're two different um, parts. They're two different types of labour and they don't necessarily have to go together. But you only have to look back, um, you know, at some of the past idealization of the family so if you look at that sort of 1950s 1960s model family of you know the freestanding house on the nice lawn and mum's at home the whole time and dad goes off to work and and that type of thing we are still very much in the shadow of the industrialized um, the industrial revolution that sees people as individual units of labor to be put to use in the capitalist economy um, and the capitalist market really has a, ter- is, has a terrible time trying to account for the interdependencies of human relationships and nowhere is that more visible than in the parent-child relationship because humans have such long childhoods. We're dependent on the care of others for such a long time in comparison to other um, mammals and primates in particular. We have this long period of dependency on others and um, the way that we think about work, the way that we make money is really only just starting to grapple with um, the true needs of children and families uh, in that way. So there's just such broad structures and norms and practices that come to bear on a family and one of the things that I really want women to know, particularly women who are feeling that they're failing in this um, sort of task of modern modern motherhood where you're expected to be the perfect parent, the perfect housekeeper and the perfect employee, um, is that, you know, it's not your fault. Like you just happen to be mothering at a particular historical moment where um, the mothering part of it is severely, profoundly undervalued. Um, and there's really very few supportive structures and practices um, and cultural beliefs around you. So if you are struggling with reckoning with all of that, with making that work, um, don't sort of turn that back in on yourself as a personal failing. And I see that so much and certainly something I grappled with myself as well. Um, Mm. And to also just to say that um, we all have power to do what we can with what we've got where we are. Um, I think I've mangled that quote, but um, it's the, you know, there are structures that come to bear on our lives like national childcare policy or, um, you know, paid parental leave policy where you might feel really powerless and most of us don't have the power to click our fingers and change those structures that are influencing our lives. But each of us does have the power to reflect on, examine the decisions that we're making within our own context, within our own families and communities, and actually live the new world into being. So I really just, this book and my work is around inviting people to really trust in the knowing of the importance of the work that they're doing in child rearing and responding to their babies and um, really start a bit of a, a gentle rebellion against the, the cultures and practices and norms that don't support that. 
Yeah, I love that so much. Living it into being, that's such a beautiful way of phrasing it. And I think like you mentioned, the absolutely the critical step is believing that it's really not your fault. It's This isn't an individual problem. This is a, a huge social mess that we've gotten ourselves into. And, and you know, in the reason that humans are the way we are is because of these powerful social connections and relationships. We have much more complex um, relationships than a lot of other species and that only can happen because we invest that time um you know and and that that love and all of that kind of stuff and you know so to undervalue that is actually to to undervalue what it means to be human um so yeah if we can kind of realize that this isn't our fault individually this is something we need to take social responsibility on we uh, for we can actually yeah turn that back on um, on creating that change instead of blaming ourselves for everything. You know, and you only have to think about how we talk about it. Like I think language really reveals a lot about a culture and the fact that we call it maternity leave, I just think <laughs> that sounds like some sort of resort where, you you know, there's banana lounges, it comes with margaritas, you know, there's small children just tottering around happily but on the lawn or something. And it's only for the biological mothers. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, um, you know, when I imagine if we called it, you know, future citizen task force secondment or something. <laughs> <laughs> I just probably yeah. too far the other way. But I, I, I guess I'm just saying that um, it's so ingrained so culture so much part of the culture to think that um responding to and caring for the needs of children is unimportant that it it pops up in in all sorts of ways and um i recall that on my very first mother's day my daughter was about eight weeks old and that just happened to be the mother's day where um treasurer or former treasurer at the time joe hockey I decided to come out and call mothers double dippers if they <laughs> were accessing government and employer um, paid leave, which in fact was how the policy was intended. It was to created for that a, purpose. Minor yeah. detail, minor detail, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. No, I, I think it's really important and that's the message that we receive all the time, isn't it, that we're lazy or that useless or we're wasting time and both ways that, you know, it's such a trap because if mothers do want to return to work, then they're selfish and greedy and they're neglecting their children as if, as though a father can't do a perfectly good job of looking after children as well if that work was valued. You know, so either way that you look at it, you, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So rather than taking that on as our own fault, you know, or something we need to feel guilty about, yeah, we really need to turn it back on the system. Mm. Um. Have you got anything else you want to share or can we move on to some of the tools that you were talking about? Yeah, let's move on to the tools because I think it's really one of those issues, Julia, where the devil is in the detail and mm -hmm. um, some of the recent research that our watch came out with showed that a lot of parents think this is an important issue but uh, don't really have know what that means in terms of um, how to do it day to day. Mm -hmm. Like, What does that mean for my, for my life? Um, and so one of the tools that I really suggest um, for couples or people expecting a baby is to sit down with a spreadsheet and you want to do this kind of over the course of maybe a month um, to write down sort of everything that happens in your family. And you might, it could be, um, it could be, 
task by task or you could do it role by role. So it could be mowing the lawn or you could say like gardener. Um, but you basically want to each row would be um, an area of responsibility and then have a column for each of you. So one column for mum, one column for dad. But then the most important column is the column that's titled no one. Um, <laughs> and put an X in each column next to the task that um, each person is going to be responsible for or the, or the um, task that no one is going to do. Because the reason I really love this tool is um, it's a way for um, couples to think about how they can simplify their lives. One of the um, biggest issues in gender equality is who does the unpaid work in the household and the family. And at the moment, women do um, a much larger proportion than men of unpaid labour. So this is a way of building some transparency around who is doing what and making some conscious decisions, A, about what you're going to simplify, what you're not going to do, and B, how you're going to divvy up the rest of the responsibilities. And by making it visible, it's a tool for um, empowering you to examine that and reflect on, am I happy with this? Does this serve us? Are there any pain points here? Are there any things that I really resent doing and actually take more energy than I'm willing to give them. Um, And it basically can set out for you uh, those tasks that sometimes just are invisible that we do based on assumptions. Um, And so it's that way of um, making sure or unraveling, untangling what I'm consciously choosing to do that's in line with my values and principles versus what I'm doing because I think I I should or actually I've just been doing unthinkingly because some part of me had absorbed a cultural message that I should do it because I'm the woman or he should do it because he's the man. Yeah, I love that. I love it so much because it's got there's so much in that because on the one hand, one of my favourite tools in my own marriage, which is similar, is batching things. So I do all the laundry and my husband does all the dishes and that's that no matter what. He does all the dishes and I do all the laundry. And it means that even if I cook all day and he doesn't get home till 9 o'clock, I don't touch the dishes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it does actually take a little bit of discipline to go, no, that's in his column, you yeah. know, like, and it is a bit annoying sometimes because I come to cook dinner and I'm like, oh, there's no whatever. But I'm like, no, that's his job. That's not my job. You know, so being able to really just batch things that clearly I think is really important and on the other hand being able to figure out what's not important the only difficulty I can see coming up with that is a lot of the time women say well like he wouldn't do it as in it you know the women seem to have higher standards for certain things and I guess part of that is unpacking is that just because you think you should do it or think you're going to be judged if your husband doesn't have an iron shirt or whatever um you know is it really important to you and what if it is really important to the mum but it's not important to the dad um, then she ends up doing everything. So, yeah, I don't know. Just I guess it's good just to start all those conversations, isn't it? Yeah, and you need to reckon with what you value. So um, it's a way of making that visible and facilitating that examination. Um, and this is really just a jumping off point for inviting some creativity into how you approach that um and as you were saying for you your family batching works one thing that we do in my family um 
is do what we call an hour of power of housework. Mm -hmm. And this is when, you know, my partner and I are both home and um, we'll find something to occupy my toddler for a while. And we'll do what we call the hour of power of housework, where we both just go hammer and tongs for an hour in the house cleaning up. And then when that was amazing how much you can do. (laughs) Especially when you're on a time limit and it kind of is an antidote um, to a constant underlying feeling that you should always be doing something or always be cleaning. Yeah. You Um, can kind of let it up, build up knowing that I will do it. It's, you know, there's this designated time and also how much better is it doing jobs together? I think part of the load of cleaning is the amount of time in isolation. It's just so lonely and boring doing those tasks on your own all the time. Yeah. And look, women throughout their whole lives, are really socialised to disproportionately invest in the dreams and goals and lives of other people. So we're really socialised and rewarded for, you know, facilitating other people's careers and other people's hopes and dreams, other people's needs to rest and other, all their types of needs. Um, and so I think one of the most useful questions as women that we can ask ourselves is where am I over-functioning in relation to others mm-hmm. and where am I under-investing in myself? Yeah, great. I love that. And I love what you said earlier about reckoning with that because if they decide that all of these huge list of things are important to them, then I guess they are going to have to figure out how to get them done. But what they yeah. might instead do is go, you know what, that is actually impossible. That is, I don't have enough hours in the day to do that. We have to find another solution and I have to decide that's not important to me anymore I'm going to outsource it or I'm going to find some way to automate it or yeah that you do you have to you have to be realistic and deal with that don't you and and one of the huge limitations of the modern family structure is the isolation of the parenting unit so you know historically we've lived in multi-generation households Um, So there's been more people, more hands, more resources around um, to do all of those things that a family and household needs. Mm -hmm. And so another way that this kind of spreadsheet can be useful is that it empowers you to ask for help too, to grow that pie of resources that you can draw on because everything that is in the no one column, when someone says, oh, hey, just let me know if there's anything I can do to help, you can go well actually (laughs) here's a list of 30 things that no one's getting to at the moment um and the most important one to me the most important ones to me are these three so um could you do one of those you know empowering yourself to ask people for support um in a very specific way Mm, yeah I love that and you do uncover those things don't you like my husband and I neither of us are very good at making the house beautiful so Mm. often we don't remember to put pictures up on the wall and you know those little details will make the house smell nice and sometimes I say I long for a wife because that's you know that's what I should be doing if I were following these all these gender rules that are handed down to me but I'm just not very good at it and I know I'm not very good at it and that's fine I just don't do it but at the same time we do have people in our team my mum's good at it and we also have a gardener who's really good at it. It makes our garden look absolutely amazing with all that attention to detail and, you know, love that 
I just don't, I don't know why it's just not in me. I don't see things like that. It's not my strength. So knowing that it's okay to have strengths and weaknesses and that you don't have to do everything because traditionally, you know, like I'm good at cooking. I love cooking, but I wouldn't have been doing the cleaning, not by a long shot, you know, but if we lived in these bigger villages rather than just two people, then those roles would all just naturally be covered by everyone's strengths. So yeah, you you don't have to be good at everything. You're not meant to be good at everything. You're meant to work in a team. Yeah, absolutely. And it really is just about having that ongoing practice of reflection, building awareness and um, creativity, thinking. I think a really useful framing for a question is how might we? So um, a lot of what I hear a lot of from women is how tired and busy that, that they are, particularly in those early years of parenting. And just as a family and with your partner sitting down with that question of how might we, for example, create more rest for me? Mm-hmm. How might we do this? You know, so that you can, as a family, as a partnership, orient yourselves towards new ways, new things that you could be doing, tweaks that you could be making um, to how you live and work and relate to each other that will better serve um, the needs of everyone in the family. Mm, I love that. And it is often, it feels sometimes overwhelming, doesn't it? But actually, if you just say, look, let's just do it in these small steps, what can we do today, right now, you know, together? And, you know, because sometimes it does just feel too big if you go out there with an idea of changing policy and smashing the patriarchy, but (laughs) that you might be able to just think together as a couple about what, you know, what might we do today? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Just start where you are. And look, um, lobbying parliament and activism isn't going to be for everybody, but I just really think um, that there's real power in listening to and sitting with um, any pain or heartache that you're feeling about things. Mm. So if let that be your guide. Like if, if you are feeling heartache because you don't get any rest or you don't get time with friends or you don't get professional challenge or you know whatever it might be really just sitting with and sort of scanning your life and division of responsibilities around hang on where are my needs not being met what is is this something I've chosen that I want for my life or is this something that I've just kind of inherited through the legacy of what was modeled for me in the past around what mothers and fathers should be or something I've absorbed from cultural messaging around who a woman can be and who a mother can be or who a father can be and what they're capable of. Um, Sometimes we can just be so blinded by these um, messages that we've absorbed that we can't, can't see the possibilities in front of us. Um, So it really is around being conscious of, where there's any pain in your life, like where you're just feeling that lack and then um, engaging with your partner, with your family around how might things look differently. Yeah, I love that so much and not just internalising it, which is what women are sort of taught to do, but really like saying, hey, let's do this together. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, I love it. Do you have any other things you wanted to share Um, and your book, of course? Yeah, I just wanted to share that if, um, as I mentioned, I am writing a book called um, The Progressive Parents and Parents-to-Be Short Guide to Gender Equality. Um, And in that, I'm going to run through some more tools and practices for um, 
embedding this in your family and really bringing it to life in in your family and practices. So if the listeners are interested in um, finding out when that's available, then just head to ellaburke.com. That's E-L-L-A-B-O-U-R-K-E.com and sign up for the mailing list there and I'll let you know when it's ready. That's awesome, Ella. And we'll make sure we include that link in the show notes as well. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you and it's a conversation I definitely want to keep having. So um, maybe we can have you back on the podcast again sometime and we can definitely keep working together um, as well. So thank you very much. My pleasure, Julia. Thanks for having me. Here at Newborn Mothers, we believe that every family has the right to high quality postpartum care. If you want to join us, learn more at newbornmothers.com. And if you like this podcast, we'd really love you to leave us a five-star review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.